You're listening to a Corridor Business Journal podcast. It's time for straight talk about diversity, frank questions, honest answers, and real insights. It's Diversity Straight Up, brought to you by Green State Credit Union, with your hosts, Sadika Vodka of Nikea Diversity Consulting and Anthony Arrington of top ranked professional and executive search firm. Diversity Straight Up, brought to you by Green State Credit Union, is a Corridor Business Journal podcast. On today's episode, Janet Godwin, CEO of ACT. We see consistently differences in achievement uh, between Black, Latino, um, Asian, white, uh, and uh, lower uh, socioeconomic students. And so that's the problem. I don't think it's because the tests are biased or the tests are racist. I think it's that we're measuring differences in academic readiness. And so why is that? We'll be right back. Green State Credit Union is proud to sponsor Diversity Straight Up. Established in 1938, Green State is Iowa's largest financial cooperative serving nearly 250,000 members of all walks of life. Green State's products include checking accounts, loans, investments, insurance, commercial services, mortgages, and credit cards. Profits are returned to members in the form of better rates on deposits and loans. We encourage you to learn more at greenstate.org. Green State is federally insured by the NCUA and is an equal housing opportunity lender. Diversity Straight Up, brought to you by Green State Credit Union, is also sponsored by Alliant Energy. Welcome to another episode of the Corridor Business Journal's Diversity Straight Up. I'm your co-host, Sadika Bakta. And I'm Anthony Arrington. And we have an exciting guest here today, Janet Godwin, CEO of um, ACT. Hello, nice to see you all. Nice to see you as well, Janet. Well, before we get to Janet and hear insights from her, um, Anthony, something's on my mind. There's something on my mind. What's on your mind, Sarah? You know, lately, and it's not even lately, we've seen an increase in a lot of um, harassment, discrimination, assaults occurring with the Asian communities, not just here in the U.S., but we're seeing it in Canada, Australia, U.K., yeah. And my heart just breaks because right now you see a lot of it happening to the elderly community within the Asian communities. Yeah. And I think about it has seen an increase ever since the pandemic and what yeah. we're going to be rolling around over a year now with the pandemic. Yeah. And we're seeing an increase. And it breaks my heart because I guess I think about race relation discussions. And we'll get into this a little bit with you as well with ACT, Janet. But with race relations, a lot of times it's around black and white issues. Yeah. And even right now, we're seeing companies and organizations and people struggling to have discussions around race. Yeah. And if black and white issues are hard for them to even have conversations, how do they even make room for other communities that are being impacted? Right, right. I envision it's, what's happening is a bottleneck. If we can't get right. over black and white issues and be able to have honest, authentic conversations, right. other communities, it gets bottlenecked. Right. It's deep. The, the issue's deep. It's deep because there's a deep history in this country that, that we don't like to talk about. And that deep history is around slavery and black and white issues. And so it's so deep and it's so uh, washed over that there's almost no room to talk about anything, anything else. And 
I feel you because it's hard. It's hard when you know, we've seen, I think in Canada, there was a 712% increase Mm -hmm. in in the number of of hate crimes against Asians. It's happening everywhere. So when you talk about race and and when you talk about people of color, Indian, black, Latino, they're all underserved populations and we're all struggling and it's not good. It's, and it's tough to, it's tough to, it's tough to talk about. We can't even get over the big rock and we've got all these other rocks. Here in the yep. U.S., yes, mm-hmm. and I know yeah. that if you're looking at other countries, yes. the big rock can be different. Yes. But whatever rock yeah. that is, if we cannot foster those yes. open, authentic conversations at work, it's yeah. going to really create, again, the bottleneck for other communities. And this is where I, am, am, I implore leaders, no matter how difficult it is, no matter how difficult it is for their own leadership, yeah. to want to have these conversations in the workplace because they think there's going to be a liability or they feel that it's not appropriate to be able to talk about yep. social issues in the workplace. They need to make room for that because their people are living in society yeah. coming into the workplace. And so we have to have a leaders really be able to lead by example and not get scared when race relations yeah. are being brought to the table. A, there's 24 hours in a day, 24 <laughs> hours in a day. And most of us spend eight to 10 of those hours in the office. We're human beings. If we're spending that much time with people, you have to be able to have these conversations. You just have to. We're all humans. Yeah. So we, we <laughs> well, I know that um, I know Janet wants to yeah. share a little bit on yeah. this topic as well. But yeah. before we get to what's on Janet's on our guest mind, yeah, we'd like we to know. In- introduce yes. our guest. Yes, Janet. Janet, say guest. What's on your mind? Janet is a 30-year veteran of ACT uh, and an avid advocate for power of education uh, in our lives. She spent 30 first years of ACT in test development and research before moving on to roles in information technology and operations. She held the position of COO for six years before being named CEO in 2020, from test developer to CEO. Congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you. Janet has an MA in English from the University of Iowa, Go Hawks, uh, (laughs) and she has a BA in English from the University of Oklahoma has completed graduate work in instructional design and technology and is a graduate of the advanced management program at the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. What an accomplishment. Welcome. We're so glad to have you here. Thank you so much. Well, I know that we had a heavy hitter of an intro. Any thoughts and reflections on that conversation before we delve into other areas? Sure. Uh, actually, a lot. You spurred a lot of thoughts. But the, the last one that struck me, Anthony, was your comment about we spend eight to ten hours a day at work. And, and work is a community. And every single one of us brings our own backgrounds and perspectives and, and biases into the community. And if we don't talk about things openly and honestly... We're not going to forge that trust. We're not going to forge groups of, of, of people that can bond together to get whatever the goals are yeah. of their companies accomplished. And you have to be strong. You have to be courageous. You have to be vulnerable. And you need to be able to work together as a community. And that means learning about each other and, 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 and acknowledging yeah. bias and uh, working together to overcome that. Well, thank you for your input. And speaking about community and getting to know each other, can you share with our listeners a little bit about you, Janet, personally, before we go into your professional uh, journey? Sure, happy to. Um, you mentioned uh, University of Oklahoma. I'll say Boomer Sooner. Boomer Sooner. <laughs> um, I'm an avid OU fan. I love the Hawks, but um, I'm always going to root for OU oh, every single my, time. One of my buddies is an avid OU fan, so I understand. Just going to say, um, I also, uh, I've got two kids. A daughter in graduate school at University of Oklahoma or Iowa, excuse me, um, and a son who's a freshman 
uh, at City High in Iowa City. He's been online learning this whole year because of the pandemic, and I'm really looking forward to him getting out of his bedroom um, <laughs> and getting back into the <laughs> classroom. But I will put a shout-out for our school district. I serve on our school district um, school board, and uh, I just uh, what teachers have been through this year, building administrators, uh, the community, working through the, the COVID uh-huh. impact, and focusing on students to help them be successful in really, really trying traumatic times. I'm just going to shout out to uh, all the teaching staff out there and educators because they've done amazing stuff this year. That's I have to give double kudos there as well. I think they're underfunded and uh, more support needs to be given to our educators. Yeah. Uh, they're shaping the minds of current leaders. Mm-hmm. Young ones are not future leaders. They are current leaders. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. You know, Janet, you, you mentioned your uh, school board. Um, time on the school board. Uh, we were having a conversation the other day, and and you, you mentioned your some aha moments that you've had when it comes to equity and diversity and inclusion, and particularly in the space of education. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about some of those aha moments and oh, what sure. they did for you personally and professionally? Absolutely. I think um, serving on the school board. Obviously, I've been a parent in the district for many, many, many years. But being on the school board has brought it home for me. Uh, in terms of the goals that we have around diversity, equity, and inclusion, uh, the opportunity gaps we see that are manifested in test scores and, and disciplinary rates and, and that kind of thing, bullying, harassment, there's so many factors that come together. And we have all kinds of goals and programs and initiatives. And I want to, you know, we do a good job, but what really has struck me, it, it's that we're not doing enough. Um, and when we have families come and, and, and talk about, you know, boy, I really need to have some of our materials presented in Arabic, you know, first uh, generation Sudanese families here in the U.S., and we have to do a better job of reaching them where they are. Um, there's a really remarkable student from West High, uh, Daja is her first name, and, and she served on every kind of equity committee and panel that we've had. And it was this summer, we were on a Zoom call, I'll never forget, um, we were having discussions around the Iowa Freedom Riders who would put forward some requests, demands for the school district to respond from curriculum and disciplinary actions and all kinds of things spot on. And Deja was on uh, the Zoom call and she said, I've been on every one of these, you know, equity committee and programs forever and I just got to tell you, I'm tired because it doesn't feel different to me. And that Mm. was powerful to me because we think we're doing good work. We are doing good work, but until people of color feel better and heard and acknowledged and, and, and met where they are, then we're not doing enough. And Mm -hmm. it just brought it home because this, this young woman is, is strong, smart, hardworking, and we hadn't done enough for her. And, And if we haven't done enough for her, I can tell you we're not doing enough for every other student in our district that, um, that's, yeah. that's facing the kinds of systemic issues that, that we have in our yeah. society. Something you said before that really struck me. You said, I didn't, I knew it. I knew these things. I knew about these inequities, but I didn't feel it. And something hit you and you felt yeah. it. And, and it, it, yeah, it's, yeah. and I have this experience at my work uh, at ACT as well that, you know, we, there's sort of, sort of check the box things mm. you can do around diversity and equity and inclusion programs. And, and, and it's important. It's educational. It's, a, you know, it's create awareness and, and grow and develop. But sometimes it's more academic. It doesn't, it doesn't change how you feel. And, and what, 
what I'm learning is that the experiences of folks who have faced systemic barriers their whole life, they feel it. And I'm from a position of privilege. I'm a white woman in the United States, and so I haven't felt those kinds of discriminatory practices personally. And and so until I started hearing those stories directly from whether it's a team member at ACT or students in our school buildings, I, I needed to hear it. I needed to really listen open up and, and experience you know through that those experiences what that kind of trauma must feel like and, and it and so it's easy to check the box and do the right things and and you know put all the right practices in place but until you feel it personally I think it's really hard to embrace it mm-hmm. and then really be an agent yeah. of, of change yeah. so Janet when you're looking at your team and your leadership team, uh, what advice can you give other leaders that may feel it like you are and are going on this journey, they understand their privilege, but trying to get the rest of the team to understand or at least have empathy? Oh, it's a good, great question. Um, so I think the senior leadership is really, really critical because without that focus, then you won't make progress. Um, um, but bringing the team together, I think creating time and the priority to talk about people's experiences, you know, trying to make it real, creating a safe place for people to share their experiences so that they don't feel judged or, or um, you know, just a, a safe place. I think creating and creating time and the focus and priority. And so something that we've sort of learned along the way at ACT, and we've had, you know, leaders that running a diversity office or diversity programs, and it was always sort of like, that's off on the side. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to let that team be in charge of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And it doesn't work because it's not just one, it's not just a single leader's job and it's not just a single team's job. To your point, you really have to get everyone owning it. Mm -hmm. And so um, creating the time, space, safety to have the real conversations. um, Because when people start really understanding what folks have been through and continuously experience, it, it starts opening up that empathy and understanding, and then the advocacy and and wanting to be an ally. And so mm-hmm. it just it, you just have to create the space and the priority. It doesn't happen overnight. And if all you're worried about is your business's performance and looking at spreadsheets and numbers and things, you know, you, you won't get there. You have to have the human conversations. I want to pivot here. I, I, I was thinking about this. Um, there's been a significant discussion uh, in your world around the need for high-stakes testing reform, um, you know, to, with standardized testing. Um and in light of, of achieving, you know, equality in education. So can you share sort of your thoughts on this as well as any bold ideas you have, maybe you've proposed or have, have, have already proposed to create more equity among populations when it comes to the standardized testing? Yeah, that's a great question, Anthony. We spend lots and lots and lots of time working on this, as you can imagine. The, 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 and coming back from my test development days, mm-hmm. I can say – uh, from a development of standardized tests, so much go into the development to prevent bias from being part of the testing content. So diverse item writers and content developers and panels of folks who are reviewing materials to look for words or scenarios or contexts and, and things that aren't going to be appropriate. We, we do statistical analyses on, on our assessments to make sure that they're not differenti- differentially performing for certain populations. And so from a test design and, and quality standpoint, I can say it, not just ACT, but any really valid, strong standardized test is, is built so that it's not measuring 
bias or, or difference. What we do measure is that on my assessments, we measure academic readiness. So the ACT, for example, or have you, has a student mastered, um, you know, uh, English, um, algebra, science, reading, uh, reading skills? And what's sad is that it's very clear in the data that um, students uh, with higher incomes, fam higher family incomes, are going to perform better almost every time on a standardized test than the student from a, a lower uh, socioeconomic background. We see consistently differences in achievement uh, between black, Latino, um, Asian, white, uh, and uh, lower uh, socioeconomic students. And so that's the problem. I don't think it's because the tests are biased or the tests are racist. I think it's that we're measuring differences in academic readiness. And so why is that? Is it because a student doesn't have access to a quality preschool experience before they get to kindergarten? Maybe. Is it because students, uh, some families don't have access to good health care or enough food? Uh, is it because during the learning experience, um, students have been exposed to um, curriculum that has not been reflective of their personal backgrounds and, and, and cultural backgrounds? Maybe. Is it because they've experienced blatant racism in the classroom or in their, in their learning community? Maybe. And so there's all these societal factors that are getting in the way of, of students performing well in school, not just on standardized tests, but in grades. And um, you see different uh, differences in, in discipline, and that's going to affect students and their achievement from an academic readiness standpoint. And so we like to say that assessments are, are thermometers or barometers. We're measuring sort of what's out in the world. Mm -hmm. The real issue for me is building upon how to, how to fix those systemic issues that are preventing certain uh, populations of students from achieving as well as others. And so it's access to good quality coursework. It's access to quality uh, counselors. I just was speaking with the executive director of the American Association of Counselors this week. The, the ratio of counselors to students is, is, is a problem in our educational system. We don't have enough qualified counselors to meet with every student to help them understand where are they, what are their goals and aspirations, what choices should they take in high school to get ready for life after high school. There's so many things that get in the way, especially yeah. for black, Latino, indigenous students, low-income students. They're all the barriers they have to overcome is overwhelming, and, and that shows up in their academic readiness. Well, I want to um, piggyback a little bit on this. ACT is a global company. And uh, when you're thinking about, um, I was born in India. I hear a lot of horror stories with um, the focus on standardized tests, the high stakes standardized test, and the impact on um, correlation with suicide rates. Whether you're looking at India, um, South Korea, China, you're seeing that similar correlation. And even if it is that they have access to these resources, it's still impacting them because if they don't perform, mm -hmm. there's this drilled in, whether it's from society or from economic or from a cultural perspective, it, the expectation you have to perform. And they know that that's also going to impact their ability to be able to get into some of those top-notch universities. And I totally understand in terms of socioeconomic that those, they have resources, they can get the additional prep, they can get coaching. There's so many different uh, avenues of access, but even those that do have avenues of access, the mental health aspect of it, what can we do about it? What can um, companies like you in this industry do to help uh, combat that 
especially to bring down that suicide rate? Yeah, no, it's a it's a great question. Part of it is just the the stakes associated with a, with a, with education. I mean, education around the world is really a vehicle for economic improvement. Um, you know, change, getting a better life, if you will. Education is an opportunity to a strong, good living, and and we see that. And so the stakes are really high. To get into that school that's going to give you the degree and the credential that will propel you into the kind of career that will help you have the economic stability going forward and for your kids and you know your, your, your family. So the stakes are really, really high. And it's so many of the stakes are associated with um, uh, socioeconomics. You're looking to improve your, your, your outcomes after, mm-hmm. after school. And, and so how can we lower the stakes? Well, maybe we can start thinking about how to um, create more economic opportunity um, beyond just going to elite schools? Um, can we create pathways to well-paying jobs through, in the U.S., community colleges <coughs> that it, maybe the stakes are, are not trying to get into a Harvard, but still an excellent education that's going to yield an excellent um, uh, living uh, for a, a family to support their, their kids to to. to generate some wealth and stability. And so the, the stakes are high with education and it's a pathway out of poverty. And how to lower the stakes, I think create more opportunities for economic advancement beyond just uh, a narrow pathway through elite universities. Alliant Energy is a place where I can create the future, where my skills, creativity, and new ideas make a better tomorrow. I help deliver the energy powering moments that matter to you. It's where we care about the environment and our neighbors. A place where my talents and skills grow. My job isn't a job, it's my passion, my place, my purpose, because I am energy. See how you can put your energy to work at AlliantEnergy.com slash careers. There are some uh, proponents out there that are really advocating for really a test score optional policy. And I know that we've seen a lot of universities, um, four-year colleges and universities who are accredited, pivoting because of COVID. And so they're making, you know, um, standardized tests, whether it's ACT, SAT, the, the test score is optional for students to have to submit as part of the application. So Janet, based on what you just indicated, that how do we create um, opportunities where we can get more to that education, if education is a pathway to being able to get more economic success, how do you feel about the test, um, you know, score optional policy? Yeah, it's um, another thing that we've been paying a lot of attention to. And, and the test optional uh, movement is here. Um, we've done a lot of research. Uh, schools um, that have moved test optional mm-hmm. during COVID are going to stay that way. And But the research we've done also shows that the, the test scores not only um, – are useful in admissions. And so if a school's test optional, they'll review your score if you send it. Um, but they're also going to use that data to help them uh, recruit and identify students who would be successful on their campus. They're also going to use the test scores to help them identify uh, means to help a student be successful once they get on campus. So student success is a very big deal, as well as um, aid-based decisions around scholarships and, and merit and that kind of thing. So the data is important. Um for a variety of reasons. And so I think, so I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm cool with the test option movement. It makes sense. It's been very confusing though, mm-hmm. especially for uh, students. Um, and I'll say black, Latino, indigenous, low-income students, because the rules have changed kind of almost overnight. 
And so um, because education is a pathway to um, economic uh, success um, and saying, okay, I've, I've been doing all my great coursework and I've studied for and prepared for the SAT or the ACT and now you've changed the rules. I mean, how are you going to view my application uh, next to somebody else's? And so there's a lot of concern and a little bit worried uh, sentiment that and uh, subjectivity and some unfairness may come into that selection process because people saw test scores as objective, um, not subjective um, grading, uh, not mm -hmm. su not subjective from a student had a, a bad semester, maybe a parent died or divorce or something, and they were disrupted in their learning. The the test is is a little bit of a more of a, a level playing field than than um, high school course grades can be. The the differences between um, districts and high schools, resources, uh, rigorous classes that are offered. And not mm. every student has access to to those things, and so scores can actually help a student differentiate. I'll note. Um, I just was having a LinkedIn dialogue with a parent uh, just yesterday uh, for something that I posted, and, and we talked about test optionals here to stay. And this parent wrote to me and said, Janet, I don't want test optional to be here to stay. You know why? Um, my, my student has been impacted by COVID, online learning. Um, it's been hard from an engagement standpoint, and I, and I, and I want my student to be able to demonstrate what he knows, but I don't think my grades, are, the grades are going to really reflect it in this COVID time because mm -hmm. online learn it's hybrid learning. It's been hard for students to stay engaged, and so grades are going to be disrupted. So there's room for assessment scores to help a student demonstrate what they've accomplished in a level playing field way where other, other terms as part of the admissions process can still be very subjective. Right. Um, now we're going to get into another segment of our episode, as we'd love to hear from our listeners. What's on our listeners' mind? What's on our listeners' minds? Janet, we really love to hear from our listeners, whether it's comments, suggestions, or questions. And we have a uh, question here from Maria. She said, I am a Latino woman, and I have been tapped to serve on many nonprofit boards and continue to get tapped to serve on other nonprofit boards. However, I would like the opportunity to serve on a for-profit board and be compensated for my time, talent, and expertise. What advice do you have for me to make this transition? Wow, that's a great question. Um, I think um, continuing the networking uh, uh, Maria, um, network with people who are uh, in for-profit organizations, um, demonstrate to them your experience of serving on not-for-profit boards, your work background, the, uh, the perspectives that would be valuable on those boards. I think networking is probably one of the most important things to do to meet the, the leaders of those organizations that would be looking for members uh, of, their, of their boards. There you have it, Maria. Advice from Janet. Uh, listeners, please continue to submit your questions, suggestions, and comments to info at Diversity Straight Up. All right. Well, you see me holding up this uh, diversity <laughs> thumb ball. I love this. Um, it's a great icebreaker. It has a lot of questions and prompts on it about um, diversity, equity, inclusion, and engagement. What we're going to do, how we do this is... Um, I'll just throw it to Anthony or I'll throw it at you. But when I throw it, wherever your thumb lands, read the prompter question and then answer it. And we say this is a safe space and authentic. And um, you ready? <laughs> you know I know, I'm gonna get ready. <laughs> <laughs> How might your personality 
combat prejudice and discrimination? Mm. I haven't had this. That's a great question. Yes. Um, you know what? I talk a lot about the fact that my intersectionality helps me. So I'm, I'm married to a white woman. I have a legal disability. I have biracial children. Um, so there's n maybe that shapes my personality. And I, I get to have these conversations because I get to, I get to put myself in people's spaces that maybe some others aren't. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not that big believer of, you know, I, I, uh, I'm not a racist. I have a black friend. That doesn't work. Um, but when you've got a lived experience uh, like mine, I, I think it lends my personality to be able to have different conversations with, with people to try to combat, to try to combat it. Um, but it's tough. It's tough. That's a great question. That was a good one. That's yeah. a good question. All right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll go with this one. Um, share one to two examples of prejudice or discrimination based on age. Oh, that's a good one. Um, that I've experienced personally or... or um, sure. It's uh, your answer. It's my answer. <laughs> I want to think about this one. So I'm 55, proud of being 55. Um, but uh, uh, it is, I think... Um, uh, there is a, uh, there is a, we have a youth culture, um, I will say. And, um, and so not, um, I, I like to do yoga. I like to work out and I, this sounds like a very silly example, but you know, if you're trying to, you know, do a great job working out and you're people are like i don't want you on my team you know, <laughs> kind of thing yep. you're, you're not gonna you're make the old, it you're the old person right yeah <laughs> i'm definitely an old person and that's so that's a really trivial kind of example um i think in the workplace i see age uh i won't say discrimination at act because we work really really hard on that but i do think from time to time there's a bit of a bias in terms of new ideas and mm -hmm. innovation mm -hmm. that you know i see you know sort of a a leaning towards you know folks that are fresher out of school mm -hmm. than than more sage folks who have experienced more things and i just don't think that's right i honestly think i'm getting better the older i get and mm -hmm. um and my innovative and, ex and all of our juices get better with experience and, and knowledge and learning and being open. Yeah. And so I, I do worry about um, age discrimination and sort of innovation type environments, that there's a bias towards youth. It's there and it's real. As, as somebody in talent acquisition, I can tell you it's there and it's very real. Um, and there are people in leadership positions who don't even know that they're doing it. Mm -hmm. And so there's an education to be had out there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, with the multi-generations of yeah. the workplace. Yeah. 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 Don't I get to throw to you, you now? Do. All right, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> What's our biggest challenge when it comes to achieving social equality? Well, mm. for our listeners, equality and equity are two different things. So if I want to answer this in a manner that it should, how do we get to equality? Then I would say that we need to look at the equity piece of it. Yes the systems, the institutions, um, the policies, programs, procedures, that is where biases can creep in and that's where inequities can come in. So we need to create more equitable level playing field to get to those equal outcomes in society. The difference between equity and equality. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I really, really appreciate your time and your candor. Uh, I hope we didn't ask you too many questions that were uncomfortable, but that's what we do out here. That's, that's what we do. So we appreciate it. We appreciate it. 
No, thank you for yeah. having me. I really enjoyed the conversation this afternoon. Thank you. And thank you to our listeners. Without you, we are not able to do the work that we do to collectively impact change. As we always say, diversity straight up. Keeping it real. Thank you to our listeners as we wouldn't be here without your support. Help us grow our subscriber base by sharing our show with others. Love this new episode of Diversity Straight Up brought to you by Green State Credit Union? Then head over to the most popular podcast audio platforms to describe, rate, and review us. And check out our other episodes while you're there. Catch us on our next episode, which drops monthly. We'd love to hear from you. Hit us up and send your questions, comments, and suggestions to info at diversitystraightup.com. Remember, wherever you live, work, and play, our backyards are increasingly global. It's not enough to simply be a leader. Be a global leader by leveraging diversity with equity, inclusion, and engagement. And share your journey. This may empower others to be bold change agents. Be courageous. Be authentic. Be vulnerable. Diversity Straight Up, brought to you by Green State Credit Union. Keeping it real. You've been listening to Diversity Straight Up, brought to you by Green State Credit Union. Additional support provided by Alliant Energy and the City of Cedar Rapids. For more from the Corridor Business Journal, please visit CorridorBusiness.com. This episode was produced by Joe Coffey of Coffee Grande Studios.